Am I taking it? Sure. You're the big swing of dick, yeah. Oh. Never been accused of that in my life. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tuesday Tips brought to you by the Hunt with D Podcast. I'm your host, Luke, here with my co-host Perry, the producer Carter, and our guest coordinator, Derek. What's going on, fellas? What's up, man? Good to see you. Happy to be here. I'm happy to see you, Derek. All right. <laughs> Oh, man. So this will be our first tips in a hot minute. Um, we haven't done tips even longer than we hadn't done a podcast prior to this last week. So uh, we're glad to be back. We're still playing, kind of playing catch up and getting back in the swing of things. But it's, it is pretty great to get back in the swing of it. So uh, why don't we go ahead and start with Perry, man? I know you got some tips regarding your saddle setup. Let's hear them. Yeah, my tip for this week is kind of just going to be a bit of a conglomeration of a few little minor tweaks and adjustments that I've made to my setup this year. Um, the first being to my saddle setup, I should specify. Uh, so last year, you know, we've talked about it before, but last year was my first year um, not only doing bow hunting, but also hunting out of a saddle. Uh, had a blast, learned a ton, but definitely realized I needed to make some adjustments and will continue to make some adjustments. So this year, I did go ahead and make a few small changes. Um, the first being um, relatively, you know, minor change, I guess, but uh, was a lot more convenient for me, which was I switched to a, um, a uh, like an automatic um, bow cord to, you know, bow pull, pull string, um, a retractable one. Um, I bought the, I think it's called the Doyle's hunting hoist. It's one of the more common ones. Um, last year I just used, you know, kind of a standard, um, like 550 cord. It was one of the, one of the ones that has the, the neon reflective lights in it so that you can see it if you drop it, which was really nice because I dropped it a couple of times, um, after the sun had gone down. So, um, you could see it with the flashlight, but it was just kind of a pain. It was, uh, I think it was like 25 or 30 feet long. Wanted to have, you know, plenty of, plenty of height, depending on how, how high I was going on the tree. And it was just you know, you're, you're constantly fighting the, the excess cord the whole time. Um, there was a couple times where I actually, you know, would leave it, you know, left it in the truck or there was once I was actually, um, riding on a four wheeler to the spot I was going up on our family farm and somehow it fell like out of my dump pouch in my saddle on the, as the four wheeler was, um, or as I was riding on the four wheeler. So, Anyway, made the made the switch to the retractable hoist. Um, I just put it directly on my pack. Um, it's got a clip that kind of goes through the molly on my pack, and it's always there. Never have to worry about forgetting it. It stays attached to my pack 100% of the time. Um, it, you know, obviously retracts and goes up and down with me as I climb, and just is a lot more convenient. The downside is it's a little bit extra weight, so you do have to factor in that, but um, it's not like I'm doing real, you know, long, uh, long hikes into the back country. So the, the extra few ounces doesn't really bother me for the benefit of the, um, of the convenience. Um, so that was the first change I made. Second thing that I just recently learned is if you're a saddle hunter that, um, likes to, you know, kind of sit with your knees leaned up against the tree. Um, and you use knee pads for me hunting early season this year, it was hot as shit in North Carolina and dude, 
hiking around all day in 85 degrees with the knee pads is just one, you know, one more layer of discomfort. So what I found is that the pants that have the, uh, the insertable knee pads that go straight into them make it a lot more comfortable if you're hiking um, to get to your, your uh, setup. Um, you don't sacrifice really any discomfort in the tree. So I would highly recommend investing in a pair of those pants that have the, uh, the insertable knee pads. If you, you know, like myself, you like to sit with your knees up against the tree, even just to take a quick break from the leaning position while you're in your saddle. And then the third and final change I made, which was also a relatively recent one, was getting the um, one-hand adjustment, um, whether it be the rope menace sender um, from Tethered or uh, there's a couple of other options out there. I'm blanking on the names currently, but basically to be able to adjust your um, your lineman's belt and or your tether uh, with one hand, which is obviously difficult to do if you're utilizing the Prusik knot like I was originally. So um, there's times, and I think, Luke, you had a situation uh, like this happen to you when you were hunting up there where – you need to make that adjustment to kind of go around the tree one way or another, or if you're climbing, you know, as you're going up and down a big tree or a bigger tree with the lineman's belt, you need to adjust it. Um, it can be kind of a pain with two hands with the Prusik. So having the one-handed option makes, again, makes things a lot more convenient. Yeah. I'm also tweaking a lot of my saddle setup stuff. Um, the one-handed adjustment, uh, the ascender, this is one thing that I'm adding to my repertoire because, like exactly like you said, it is hard to adjust the Prusik knot with one hand, especially if you like if you have your bow and like you're in the moment. And that's kind of one of the reasons that I, you know, missed the opportunity on uh, that ten pointer was because of how I had to twist. If I had been able to tighten up my uh, line a little bit, I probably wouldn't have actually uh, shifted the platform uh, that you heard about in the last episode. <clears throat> I'm also uh, the stealth strips is something you know after making all that racket. I decided that I'm adding, so it's, for those that aren't familiar, uh, in, this would be good for any uh, platform that you're utilizing, whether it's a hang-on, whether it's a climber, any stand, it, it, it's essentially, I think it's tape with, like, felt, it's a little bit thicker than your, you know, some, some of the typical stuff you can buy, it's made specifically for, like, tree stands, and you can run this along all of the contact points or the spots that are going to be metal to metal or metal to, you know, the tree or anything else that are going to make it's going to deaden that noise and so i ordered a bunch of that stuff and before the virginia hunt i'm going to have uh, all my stuff decked out and all the uh the stealth strip so if you were interested in that you can order it off the tethered's website and then wherever that brand is just google stealth strips there's a website from the guys that that make it and you can get it directly from them uh and then a couple other things um genesis 3d printing they make a that dude makes a bunch of really cool little polymer pieces that can help kind of the ergonomics of your kit and how you have everything set up. And so I've used several, uh, several of those little pieces to make like my pack a little bit better where I have everything loaded up, uh, same off my tether or off my uh, saddle so I can have everything like right there as I'm climbing. And that makes a big difference. And the biggest thing is just like practice, practice, practice. The more you run it, the more you're going to like want to build out your kit and figure it out. But yeah, those are great tips, Trevor. Yeah, that's that is one of the biggest things with the saddle, particularly if you're kind of like we are, just still relatively getting your feet wet with it. Is practice a ton, 
hunt out of it a ton and don't be afraid to to tweak it and to make those adjustments because i you know i've made a bunch of those from my first sit in at last season and and almost all of them have been positive so great tip dude all right carter what do you got yeah so uh my tip's not as high speed as perry's i'm not running a saddle or anything but my tip is buy a rake uh, which has made a huge difference for my hunting season this year uh so far <clears throat> so as far as uh buying a rake your your entrance and your exit to your stands where you're going to be hunting once you decide where you're actually going to be hunting on your property is of the utmost importance especially when you're getting really serious during november uh you don't want to bust anything going in and you don't want to bust anything going out so one of the things you can control uh is how much sound you can make walking in and i'm sure we've all hunted with people who uh, sound like a freight train walking through the woods um so it's really important when you sneak out and when you sneak in be as quiet as possible so uh, i picked up this trick uh this season and i've been using it i bought a, a cheap plastic rake and i carry it in with me uh, to my stand and i rake myself out on the way out uh when i'm leaving after i'm done hunting um to keep that little trail that I'm walking in and out uh, free of leaves and debris and things like that. Um, I started doing that earlier in the season once rifle season started on my little property. Um, uh, a bunch of does would come in at, at last light and shooting light ends and there's a bunch of deer in front of you. And I'm sure this is not a unique situation and uh, you feel like you're trapped. You don't want to get out because you don't want to educate those deer, right? Um, you don't want them to be looking up at your stand or looking up at your blind because you're making noise getting out of there and stepping on leaves and crunching on sticks uh, when you're trying to back out, um, especially in November when you're sneaking into these these honey holes and these maybe you're hunting a blind or a stand that you've kind of waited until the right, the perfect right conditions, which I think Derek and Luke are going to hit on. Um, so buy a cheap little plastic rake. Um, carry it in with you, rake yourself out, especially with all the leaves coming down. Uh, it's It made a world of difference. And I can walk out of there a time and time again. I walked a couple hundred yards back to the house um, uh, without spooking, uh, you know, six or seven does in my food plots. And that's how I know it was immensely successful. Um, so think about your entrance and exit strategy um, and kind of controlling as much of the noise that you're making uh, as possible. I like that, man. And it's funny that you say that because we've actually in the past gone in and uh, like uh, particularly when we weren't bow hunting, um, go in before rifle or muzzleloader season and actually like rake or, or leaf blow out a lot of our common access trails to some of our, you know, more heavily used stands. Uh, that was something hell my dad and his his buddies used to do back in the day, and you're absolutely right. If you have that uh, if you have that trail blown out or raked out, um, and you're just walking on that that duff, um, it really is. It makes a world of difference. I've never thought to <laughs> carry a rake with me to the stand like the first sit of the season or whatever, and then rake my way out like after dark or whatever when. When you're done hunting, that's uh, that's definitely something I'm gonna have to have to try. Yeah, it's a little weird at first adding something else to carry in with you, but if you're hunting in the morning, rake yourself out. If you're hunting in the evening, 
rake your path on the way in so that you can sneak out real silently. But yeah, it worked. It's been successful. Yeah, it's good shit. What about you, Derek? What do you got? Uh, mine seems pretty obvious, but I don't think we've uh, <clears throat> talked about it. It's kind of just plan to win. If you've got multiple stands on your property, understand where those deer are going to come from. And then, you know, for me, I think I've got I've got one on my main stand and then another uh, one towards the back of the property. Um, my main stand, if the wind is blowing to the southwest, it's complete shit because that's where all the deer are going to come from and you're going to get blown out. So being able to plan your hunt around that, you know, I use HuntWise. It, it lets me know the wind direction other than just licking my finger and going out there, um, trying to move myself in the 21st century. But figure out where that's at. If that, that stand is not set up for, for the conditions that you're in, don't go in there and blow everything out. Just, you know, either take the day off or go to a different stand. That way you're, you're giving yourself um, the best case to either – kill a deer or keep deer on your property so they're not just smelling your ass and, and bugging out to your neighbors. Yeah, this, this is a really good tip because I think for a long time I just decided like, oh, it's I can hunt this Saturday, I'm going to go hunt, right, without any consideration of what is the wind going to be doing, what is the situ like what is the situation, like, hey, buddy texts me, hey, you want to go hunt this weekend? Yeah, hell yeah, absolutely, let's do it, and just put bodies in stands, and it's Really, <laughs> unless, I mean, talk about what your, determine what your goals are, right? If your goals are just to sit in the woods and hunt, have a good time, then by all means. But if your goal is to try and kill deer, it's really the next step into the consideration you have to, you have to talk about, right? So, like, one of the properties I manage in North Georgia, right, want, you, know, you have to, like you're talking about, Derek, you've got to think about where the deer are going to be coming from, the bedding. And I have two stands that are instantly off the list if the wind is coming from the north or the east. Like, you, you just can't hunt. The, it's a total waste of time. And you're educating those deer, just like I was talking about with the with the noise control. Um, so it's a, yeah, that's a, that's a really good tip. Something everybody needs to consider. Yeah, and maybe if you have, you know, hundreds of acres, you're not so much worried about this. But if you're like myself or Carter, who have extremely narrow properties, um, you know, keeping deer in a, less than a football field wide area is fucking tough if you're spooking them every chance you get. Yeah, and sometimes not hunting is the better option, which seems counterintuitive, but. Well, and even if you do have, you know, it's certainly the case on, on small properties, but even if you do have a larger property, I dude, what you're talking about, Carter, is, is exactly the way that we grew up when we were kids, when we would go out to deer camp with our old man and and his buddies or whatever, there was no talk of, of wind that I remember. It was just like, where do you want to sit tomorrow? Uh, all right, well, I'm going to go up here. Where do you want to sit tomorrow? Well, me and the boys, we're going to go sit over here. Uh, we've been seeing them moving down there. And it was like, it was, thinking back, I remember sitting in these certain places, and you know this is a good spot. You know um, it's either a travel corridor or it's a staging area between bedding and food or whatever. And it, you know, you're in one of those perfect days where the weather's right and everything seems perfect. And then you go and you don't see shit. Well, what if that was a, what if you had that bad wind? 
and that you know that your scent was blowing all up into their bedding and those deer are like fuck no there's someone sitting there there's no way i'm moving through there tonight even though it's a perfectly good spot and everything else seems like great conditions um for whatever reason that was just not something that we were kind of brought up on and as i've gotten more seriously into bow hunting and i've realized how crucial that stuff is and now that's how i analyze every hunt um regardless of whether i have a bow or rifle in my hands regardless on whether i'm on a small property or a big property because i think you're absolutely right Derek. it's it's crucial that's the perfect segue into my tip uh which is it's playing the wind except it's it's knowing that next level of what the wind is doing especially in uh the areas that carter Perry and I hunt in hill country, uh, so we hunt you know primarily in Appalachia. So anywhere that's got a lot of elevation, it's the same thing in, out west in Colorado as well. You're just not doing it in a tree stand. Is you know how to play the thermals, and so for those that don't know, the thermals are what the wind does based on the temperature outside. And so as the sun comes up, there's a big temperature drop uh, right before the sun crests. The temperature will drop several degrees. And so that's going to pull air uh, lower. And then as the sun crests uh, the horizon and this air starts to warm up, it's going to push the the air back up higher as that, that air warms. And so that's going to be your thermal. And so that's why people always talk about the wind shifting and the wind swirling. Most of the time, it's not the wind. It's the actual thermals doing that. In the evenings, it's the reverse to where as the air is cooling down, as the sun drops down behind the horizon, that's pulling the air back down low. And so that was something that I don't think we've paid attention to until maybe the last one or two years uh, hunting. And so, like, yeah, we would check AccuWeather or, you know, HuntWise or one of these other DeerCast apps and know where the wind's coming from, but we never paid attention to the thermal. And so, one, you got to know what the thermal's doing, you got to know what the wind is doing, and then you also need to be checking your wind using, you can use a couple of different things for that. Uh, Windicator is one that I like to use. It's just one of those little powder uh, cases you just squirt it up in the air you know you can it, it really is hard to tell the exact direction of the wind and the wind indicators are good the other thing that uh um a lot of folks are using these days really popularized by uh dan infault is uh using some milkweed and if you're not familiar with milkweed it's a it's the seeds that come out of a pod of a plant called milkweed and they're they almost look like dandelion uh, they're just like a bigger dandelion seed and then so you can throw them and you can watch actually where they go and exactly what your scent is doing and then where it's landing um, as it's it's going out so it's leaving more detail from the windicator i like to use a combination of those two but once you start to understand that and you start to apply that to wherever you're hunting it really takes it's the next level and that's how you get in close to animals uh, that 10 pointer that i was able to get 20 yards from by far the closest that I was, I've ever been to a big deer uh, this, this past year. That's what I did. I played the wind. I used the thermals and the wind to understand where I thought he was going to be bedding based on all that and the direction he'd be moving and where he was going to be coming through. And then I checked my scent. So I knew exactly where my scent was going to be landing. So I knew how close he was going to get. So I was able to pick my kill zone, set up for that shot. Obviously, it didn't all work out. But, you know, nine, you know, nine out of ten of the fucking factors were there for me to kill that deer. And so if you can understand all that stuff, it, it makes a huge difference. And thermals are just one of those things that are overlooked all the time. People just ignore them and don't understand them. And especially if you're hunting in any sort of uh, topography that has any sort of elevation uh, gain and, and drop. So 
yeah, it's important. Awesome, that was that was a solid run through. Feel like uh, hopefully listeners should be able to get some good information out of that. Yeah, as we're you know continuing these, we're gonna try to bring on different folks and and just not do the same rehash of all the tips that that uh, we've got. So we really want your guys' feedback. If you guys have a tip that you think is awesome and needs to be shared, submit it to us through the Hunt Lift Eat Instagram at Hunt Lift Eat Official. Let us know, and uh, you know we'll vet it. And if it, if it checks out, we'll throw it up on one of these episodes, and we'll give you a shout out or shout out your Instagram or whatever you want us to do, because we need more information. You know, it's not just we're, we're no experts. Uh, we're dumb as, we, as shit. Yeah, we try to make that very clear. We just try to give you guys the lessons learned as we learn them, and uh, we welcome uh, any and all uh, extra shit you guys got. But yeah, it's been. Uh, it's been a fucking crazy year as we're coming kind of towards the close. We appreciate the hell out of everybody's support. Uh, we have like grown 10 times what we did last year across the board. And so we appreciate the hell out of all, all of it. Uh, we're coming up on our fucking one year anniversary for the podcast, which is awesome. We'll do a cool uh, episode coming up and uh, we're also doing, we just dropped a uh, little mini drop that was supposed to drop back in, in uh, November, but with the supply chain issues, it didn't drop till now, but go check that out on the website. We got some new shirts, a couple new hats, and several new be- beanies. So definitely uh, give them a look and snag them up. We're going to stop all shipping from 16 December until uh, 04 January as we're traveling for the holidays. So get all your orders in prior to that. But as always, we appreciate the hell out of all you guys. Thank you so much.